You're listening to the Faith Matters Podcast with Steve McKinley. Hello, we're back here with episode number four of our short series on talking about the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth and the historical evidence that's out there to support it. And uh, this is episode number four, and today what are we going to talk about, Tom? We are going to talk about the archaeology that helps to back up the existence of several important people that are mentioned in the New Testament. So, of course, we've been dealing mainly with Jesus and his life and ministry and, of course, his death, burial, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. But the Bible does mention an awful lot of other people who may be just mentioned once, but there is evidence to back up their existence outside of the Bible. So, you know, some of them are mentioned a lot. Some of them are more famous. Some of them are less famous. Mm. But just to show you the accuracy of the Word of God, when even when it talks in one line about a certain individual, there is stuff out there that can help to back up their existence. So, okay, so not just made-up names, no, exactly. <clears throat> but real people that yeah. fit into the historical account of what yeah. happened back then. Yeah. Okay, well, we're looking forward to that. And uh, maybe you should talk just for a few moments, Tom, about your YouTube channel. Okay, no props. Well, my YouTube channel is uh, Gospel and Spade. I started it in January of this year, and it's been slowly but surely growing. And we, I talk about, at the moment, Old Testament artifacts. So it's about two or three minute videos dealing with single artifacts that relate to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I'm planning on branching out into, of course, the New Testament, maybe do like some biblical geography as well, talk about sites and maybe historical individuals and maybe in the future even some longer documentaries about specific topics. So it's Gospel and Spade. I put out a video every Friday and I would encourage you if you're able and you would like to, please put that into YouTube, Gospel and Spade. And if you like what you see, subscribe, leave a like, comment. And if you have any suggestions, please let me know. I'm always open to suggestions and I can see what I can do. So, so it's a very small investment to make on your part to uh, go out and watch these videos, week, short weekly vid videos that talk about the um, the evidence that's out there for the Bible yeah. and right now the Old Testament. Yeah. And so it would help you to get up to speed on it without doing any work. Mm -hmm. And Tom, I know, has put a lot of work mm -hmm. and a lot of research and study into this. Mm -hmm. And it has been your field of study. Oh, yeah. Enjoy. And, uh, you know, you've traveled and, um, and Tom's uh, uh, very knowledgeable and very much into these things. And it's really breaking it down into small bite sizes that we can take and and uh, chew on, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> it's for our consumption. And so uh, I invite you to take advantage of that yeah. and do uh, like and subscribe those videos. And uh, all right, well, uh, what do you what do you have for us here? Well, we're going to start off uh, talking about a, a rather famous individual, especially in the early gospel accounts dealing with the nativity of Jesus or the birth of Jesus. And, you know, when you talk about the birth of Christ <laughs> and, of course, uh, Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem and that, there's another mm -hmm. character who pops up throughout the gospels, and that's Herod, King Herod. Mm -hmm. Now, he was the king of Judea, during the time of the Nativity. But we know him as well as King Herod the Great. Now, yeah. Herod the Great is called Herod the Great because of his massive building projects. Yeah. Like, if you go to Israel today and you see the Temple Mount, or the platform of the Temple Mount, and you see sites like Caesarea <laughs> and other places like Herodium and Caesarea Philippi and other places within Israel, most of what's there today was built by Herod the Great. 
Mm. And he's given the title Herod the Great mostly for his building projects. He mm. was also a successful general. He was also famous in his own time. Mm. And he was wealthy, shown by the fact that he was able to do all of these <clears throat> things. But in the Gospels, it talks about Herod the Great, of course, persecute and trying to persecute the Lord Jesus because he was afraid of the fact that Christ would take over his throne not understanding exactly what Christ's ministry was and what he was meant to do at first. Mm -hmm. And so he tried to, of course, kill Jesus. He failed, though he slaughtered the infants and infant boys in Bethlehem. Mm. But that's what the Bible says, which I, I believe by faith. Mm -hmm. But what evidence is there out there for Herod the Great? <clears throat> well, Herod the Great, there's an awful lot of evidence out there. No one doubts the existence of King Herod the Great. Firstly, we know in extra-biblical accounts like Josephus and other accounts from the time that talk about Herod the Great mm. constantly. So there's no doubt in historical sources that Herod the Great existed. You can just go put search Herod the Great. There's books written him about and what he did. But what else is out there, you know, like tangible, physical things? Well, for instance, at a fortress he built in on the western side of the Dead Sea in the wilderness at a place <laughs> called Masada. They found a fortress which was built by Herod the Great because he was sort of paranoid that the people would rise up against him. So he built fortresses all over the place to, mm. so as a place he could run to in case the people rebelled. Oh. But say, for instance, at Masada, which we know was built by Herod the Great, they found, what, they found an ostraca. Now, you say, what's an ostraca? Well, an ostraca is basically just a pottery, pot, piece of pottery with some writing on it. Mm -hmm. Now, it could be, you know, an official uh, writing. It could just be someone used as sort of like the sticky notes of the day because mm -hmm. pieces of pottery were all over the place and they'd write maybe a list or a note or something So it was throw, like that. throwaway writing material, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but, yeah. Go back and find and read now. Basically, they're like the Coke bottles of today. You know, oh, okay. They were all mm -hmm. over the place. You could easily find them. Mm. But we know that at Masada, they found an ostraca, which is dated from 19 BC, so before Christ. And on the ostraca, it was a part of a container. To, and on the container, it says, King Herod of Judea, or possibly Herod, the, the Jewish king. You know, you can translate it either way and both are right. Hmm, you know, there's okay. a bit of leeway with translation. Right. But the inscription is, the writing is in Latin. Hmm. So this is from a Roman source stating that what was ever was in this container was for King Herod of Judea. Hmm. And so quite simply, you know, it's a Latin source talking about King Herod the Great, a Jewish king. <clears throat> Though he Wait. was not a Jew, actually, he was a half-Jew. All right. which caused mm -hmm. him issues and he never felt very secure about himself because of that because mm -hmm. he was ruling over the Jews so he was trying to uh, appease and to gain favor with the Jews by building these massive projects right yes. but they were he was never really accepted by them no no he was an Idumean <laughs> in other words he was descended from a half Edomite sort of background and so he was partly Jewish but because the Jews weren't fond of non-Jews and especially half-Jews, mm. that really <clears throat> turned them against Herod the Great mm. because he sort of made himself king with the support of the Romans. Mm. So what we know, though, is that he continued on being king and he tried to buy their favor mm. by building great things, which mm -hmm. they appreciated. But, he did, but unfortunately, it never worked out for him because they still hated him. 
you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. He had a very bad reputation. In fact, Augustus said it was it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be Herod's family members because he was so fond of murdering them if he thought they were going to supplant him. Oh yeah. Wow. So he had a bad reputation even among the Romans. Okay, just not a generally good man. No, <laughs> no, no. Generally, and that backs up the Bible account mm-hmm. because the Bible says <clears throat> that he was willing to slaughter the infant boys of a town simply to preserve his kingship. Yeah, brutal and cruel uh, king he was. Yeah, exactly. And that backs up the Bible. Because if there was no evidence of that brutality, and the Bible says he was brutal, but everything pointed to him being a kind, generous, beneficent king. Well, he was beneficent, but for his own purposes. It would throw some doubt on the story of the account of the Bible. Exactly, exactly. And there's coins Mm. that have his name on it. Literally, no one doubts the existence of Herod the Great. So just to see, you know, the Christmas account, or it, it's historical, I believe. Mm-hmm. Now, whether people agree with the fact that Jesus is born of a virgin, I believe he was by faith. You know, can we prove that with archaeology? No. But mm-hmm. we can prove the things that are around the account, which I believe helps <coughs> add credibility to what the Bible is saying. Mm. You know, so we don't need archaeology to prove things, but it helps. Mm-hmm. Like with Herod the Great, we know what he was like, we know who he was, we know he reigned over the place exactly as the Bible states. Yeah. And so another often forgotten individual, say, in the, in the Nativity account is Caesar Augustus. Mm-hmm. Because it tells us that it was during the reign of the Emperor Augustus that Jesus was born. Now, the thing is, we know for sure through historical sources, through um, uh, artistic sources, through monuments that were built, through statues of them. Literally, if there's a Roman emperor that people know, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, his original name was Octavian before he became Augustus, they know him. He's literally all over the place. He was the first Roman emperor. He reigned for, of course, 40 years, he was one of the longest, he was the longest reigning emperor. Hmm. And we, the Bible tells us that it was during his, his reign that Jesus was born. And we know that roughly speaking, that Jesus would have been born. Mm, there's a bit of there's a bit of a debate about the exact year because of chronological issues, because the calendar has changed mm-hmm. over time, and you know, trying to correlate all of the dates and all that is a bit difficult. But s- most people would say that Jesus was born about four, in the year about four BC. Some push it back to six. Mm-hmm. But really, they're around and about that. And that's not because of the Bible issue. That's because of chronological issues that have resulted from the different calendars that have been used over the centuries mm-hmm. and trying to mesh them all and drill them all up. Yeah. But the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, that it was a, during the reign of Augustus that Jesus was born. And we know that he reigned from 27 BC to 14 AD. So, you know, of course, we believe it was in the about smack bang in the middle of his very long reign. And there's statues of Augustus, there's temples to Augustus, there's coins with Augustus' face, there's coins with his name on it. You can't escape him. Mm. You know, the most famous Roman emperor, Mm -hmm. the first Roman Mm -hmm. emperor. So Augustus, no one doubts his existence. The Bible mentions him. Mm -hmm. So no one would doubt that. So no one would have issue with Augustus. But we move on, we've seen Herod. 
plenty of evidence. The Emperor Augustus, plenty of evidence. But we move on to more, uh, more unclear ground. Because in Luke chapter 2, and notice most of these references to these individuals are in Luke. Mm-hmm. And Luke was the historian of the group. Mm. and who set out to research and interview and talk to the people who saw Jesus' life and ministry, who saw the ministry of the apostles like Paul. And he was very, very thorough in his research. Mm -hmm. Now, he didn't write everything down. You know, no historian can write every single thing that's out there. He had a goal in mind when he wrote his gospel account. He also had a goal in mind when he was writing the book of Acts out. Mm-hmm. Because you may say, well, Luke didn't talk <clears throat> about this, but he that was not his purpose. He had a goal in writing his history. Mm-hmm. Same is true of modern historians. You know, a modern historian can't write about everything. Right. You just have an endless book. Yeah. But he did um, he, he did his homework yes. and he wanted his work to be seen as, as factual and reliable because he was writing to convince uh, I think it was a, a Greek yeah, Theoph- Theophilus. Theophilus. Yeah. And uh, and so it couldn't be a shoddy mm. uh, you know, unsupported work yeah. to convince this unbelieving Greek man, Theophilus. It had to be um, sound mm. and thoroughly researched yeah. and that's what it was. Yeah. So lots of little historical details yeah. in there that surprise or unsurprisingly, I guess we can go yeah. back and yeah. and look at and ask questions about exactly. And most of them are like I said are in Luke, so it shows mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. accuracy. But take for instance in Luke chapter two verse two, it states that the census or the ta- mm-hmm. and the taxing because in the ancient world sent a census and taxing went together because it was convenient. You count the people, and when you're counting them, you take your tax money. Mm-hmm. It kills two birds with one stone. Oh, yeah. You know, today we have a sense separate to being taxed, but that's because systems have changed. Mm-hmm. In the ancient world, you can do both mm-hmm. at the same time. Count the people. When you're counting them, you sort out their taxes too. Mm-hmm. So it's how they did taxing and census in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. But it tells us that in Luke 2, too, that during that census taxing that took place, there was a governor in the region, in Syria, called Cyrenius. Now, that same man, Cyrenius, is also known elsewhere as Quirinius. And the Bible tells us that he was governor in Syria at that time. Now, there was a province of Syria above the land of Judea, and so roughly the same region of modern Syria today. You look on a map, that's Syria. It was divided up into different sections and it changed over time. But that region has basically always been known as Syria. Mm-hmm. Now, this governor <clears throat> undertook the census and taxing from, of course, ordered by the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. Now, is there any reference to this guy? He's only mentioned once in the Bible. But interestingly enough, there is one reference to this man outside of the Bible. And it's actually on the tombstone of a Roman officer who served under the man in Syria. Oh. So it's an indirect piece of evidence. So this Roman soldier <clears throat> on his epitaph mentions, among other things, you know, he talked about all the things he did in life and, you know, how, like most people, how good a man he was, what he achieved, so on and so forth. But he mentions that Cyrenius or Quirinius was in charge of a census within his province, which would have included the area of Judea. Hmm. So Luke says that during the reign of Augustus, there was a census tax, and it took place during the reign of this governor, 
And here's this Roman soldier writing about the same governor having, having helped to organise and implement a census and a tax in, in the region, just as Luke says. Mm, now you may say, interesting. And you may say, why is a Roman soldier talking about this? <clears throat> well, you know, the Roman army would have helped do that because, you know, if you're taxing people and there's big bags of money being moved around for the emperor... You don't just leave them unguarded, no. do you? So the Roman army would have been involved in guarding the money mm -hmm. and probably helped administer the taxing and the census because mm -hmm. they had a logistic base that they could use and a structure and administration that would have been used by the governor as a support. So he's mentioned once, and there's one reference outside the Bible. Which shows you, here's a relatively <clears throat> unknown man, but yet Luke is accurate in his details here. And when was that discovered? Oh, I don't remember the precise uh, precise year, but, you know, it's well known it's in just, scription. Oh, okay. It's, just, it's very hard to remember. So in doing days. that, he, he confirmed the uh, the existence of this man that Luke just mentioned in, in passing yeah. as part of his uh, re well-researched account. Yeah. So that, that's very interesting. And the reason why Luke has actually even mentioned it <laughs> is today when Christ was born. Mm -hmm. So he's mentioning these men. You may wonder, why does he mention a governor of this place? Because that's dating the events. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't have a calendar as we sort of have it today. You know, we have right. like uh, BC, AD, and the whole world base is on the same calendar system. In the ancient world, most calendars were based on the regnal years of a king. So in the year of the reign of Caesar Augustus during the governorship of so-so, mm, okay. you, can, mm -hmm. you can basically pinpoint the time. So mm -hmm. Caesar Augustus, this year of his reign, during the governorship of this guy when he did this. Mm -hmm. So that's why Luke's mentioned it, to date the event. Okay. So he's mm -hmm. interested in dates and times. Yeah. He doesn't say, oh, and once upon a time, you know, Jesus. So he really born. did us a big favor there yeah. because it's something now that we can go back and try to piece together. Exactly, exactly. And <clears throat> even in minor details, the Bible shows itself to be true. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you it's easy to forge the big things, but the smaller details is a lot more difficult. And Luke constantly gets things right. Yeah. And for a long time, people have questioned Luke's uh, authenticity and his reliability. But mm. over time, history has shown that he was right, the skeptics were wrong, mm -hmm. which shows you something. I believe that's because Luke wrote, under the inspiration of God, the inspired accounts mm -hmm. in Acts, uh, in Luke and in Acts. But if you, d d if you doubt that, there's another minor individual that Luke mentions with only one reference outside of the Bible, and that's a guy called Lysanias. Now, Lysanias was the tetrarch of Abilene. Now, he is only mentioned once in Luke 3, verse 1. One reference. One reference, that's it. And Luke does that because, of course, he's dating the time and he's dating sort of what's going on in the region. But this tetrarch, or sort of like a governor, was proven to have existed at the time of Jesus' ministry. How do we know that? Well, because based on an inscription that was found, now I know the year for this, in 1737. Mm -hmm. So back in 1737, near Damascus, Syria, so modern-day Damascus, in fact, just to the sort of northwest of Damascus, in the area of Abilene. 
Now, it's sort of like a region within the greater region of Syria. You know, like today in Ireland, you have Ireland, but you have the four provinces and the counties. That's sort of how they divided up the empire and mm. different places. Same, they do the same thing to, today as they did in the past. It's easier to run. But it tells us that he was the teacher <coughs> when Jesus started his ministry in Abilene. Now, Abilene is a very small place relatively in the Roman world. But on this Greek inscription, which is dated, interestingly enough, to the reign of the Emperor Tiberius, which is exactly when Jesus' public ministry took place during the reign of Tiberius. Augustus had died. Tiberius came along, inherited the emperorship from his from his adopted father Augustus. And during that time was the ministry of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so on this inscription found near Damascus, way all the way back in the 18th century, we find the mention of this Tetrarch, who was Tetrarch in Abilene, just as Luke said. Mm. So one mention in the Bible, one reference outside of the Bible, but it's on stone. And it's a commemorative plaque in Greek. You know, like if someone was saying, oh, that's a fake. Hmm. That's a lot of effort to go to for an obscure guy who, who Christians would even struggle to remember. Right. Yeah. Or we just read through it in person very quickly <laughs> when we talk, when we get to the juicy stuff in the Bible. Yeah. But Luke puts that there <clears throat> to date it. What's incredibly important. Yeah. It's good. It, Good thing it's there. It's a good thing it's there for us. You know, we may yeah. go through it and sort of skim on, oh, this is boring, let's get to the good bits. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason why God put all of these details in his word. Mm -hmm. It's not just to bore us, though sometimes, you know, may not be the most exciting thing, but it's there to show Luke know what he was talking about. And, and to show that it was true history. Exactly. He wasn't mm -hmm. writing fiction, because if he was writing fiction, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, you know. I mean, he got the de so many details correct because yeah. it was true. Yeah, and he spoke to eyewitnesses. He spoke mm -hmm. to people who were there. So yeah. I bet we don't know the exact list of eyewitnesses, but we can make some assumptions. And you know, he, Theophilus and uh, other readers of his stuff could have mm -hmm. just come back and said, uh, uh, you know, no, this is rubbish. You yeah. know, this, you, Luke, come on, you made this up. Yeah. But uh, it was weightier than that. Yeah, uh, was, Luke yeah. came with a lot of historical details yeah. that were probably hard to, yeah. I mean, we don't know uh, how how he took that or read that, but. Yeah. Um, probably, by, probably by the looks of it, Theophilus actually may have been a believer and it was wrote to him to encourage him that those things that he was believed were actually based on. he doubting, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. based on historical fact. And let me say, in the ancient world, there is history critics too. Mm -hmm. So don't just think they believed every old thing that came under the sun. Oh, there you read some ancient historians and they latch into others and criticize others for not being accurate, for maybe getting this wrong or that wrong. Mm -hmm. So there were critics and skeptics in those days too. Yeah. And they had to be accurate. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they, they could have written and refuted Luke, but yeah. uh, we have no record of, no. no evidence of anyone doing that. No, so. no, and, no and people attacked the New Testament, they mm -hmm. did. But as we've seen, you know, they attacked it for, well, not for historical details, but for, well, spiritual reasons. Right, and they're attacking it today, but they run up against a mountain of yeah. evidence that they have to deal with. Yeah, or either ignore. Which or, is, or ignore, yeah. Or explain away, which, you know, it's mm -hmm. not fair. You know, we should take the evidence as it is. Yeah. But just to 
give you another idea. We'd mentioned this last week. We spoke about that guy, Caiaphas, the mm -hmm. high priest. And we talked about the ossuary of Caiaphas. Mm -hmm. And so we won't go into that in details, but we saw that last week they found this bone box, an ossuary, and it was very fancily curved. They found the bones of a 60-year-old man in it. Now, what's interesting is Caiaphas would have been an older man. He would have been very uh, wealthy. He could have afforded a bone box like this. But we know that on the end of the bone box, there is an inscription that reads, Joseph, son of Caiaphas. Hmm. And so we talked about this previously, but it is believed that this is the box of the high priest Caiaphas. And that's probably his bones in that box. And you had said it was, was it Josephus that mentioned yeah. his name? Yeah, Josephus mm. actually says he was, uh, his names were Joseph Caiaphas. Mm. Yeah. And so it seems like Caiaphas was like a family name inherited. Okay. You know, family names today, you know, you have a Joe, my dad's called Joe and his son's called Joe. And, you know, mm -hmm. there'll probably be a few more Joe, Joes along the line. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Yep. It, nothing, <laughs> nothing new under the sun. It's all much the same. Mm -hmm. But um, just to say again, and last week, I think we were talking about, is there evidence for Annas? Now, at that point, right. I mm -hmm. couldn't remember. But there actually is evidence for Annas, the other priest who was involved in the trial of Jesus. Mm. And it's actually a tomb that was found just to the south of Jerusalem in the Hinnom Valley. So if you see Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, there's two valleys. There's the Kidron Valley. And to the south of the old city of David, there is the Hinnom Valley. And it's mm. full of tombs. And they found a tomb which based upon historical accounts too, is the tomb of the high priest Annas. Mm, okay. And you can go there. It looks like a cave today, but based on reconstructions, it would have been very fancy, very expensive, very exquisite. The inside of it is lavishly decorated. Only a very, very powerful and wealthy man could have done that. And that is identified as the tomb of the high priest Annas. Mm. So just to let you know, there is evidence for Annas out yeah, there. But very that, interesting. But that's been that's been known for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. Okay. But just so Caiaphas, Annas, hey, there's plenty of evidence out there for both of the high priests who took part in Jesus' trial. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating too. And and one of the points is that uh, he didn't have to mention those names, but he did. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, then we can go back and verify them and archaeology and literally we That's, have literally we seem to have the bones of kai yeah and then we have his actual bones that's uh, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, well, it's it's amazing to me too. You yeah. show me the bones, mm -hmm. show me the evidence. There you go. Mm -hmm. There's so much uh, evidence in favor of the Bible, mm -hmm. the biblical accounts that we don't have for so many other historical events that we just take for granted. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing that people would deny the Bible and that accept. In other events, things are true based on very flimsy evidence. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time, right? which is a bit of a contradiction. Yes. But. So we move on to a guy we mentioned last week, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor mm -hmm. who had Jesus put to death and who washed his hands of the whole Jesus affair. Yes. Now, I mentioned this last week. If you haven't watched last week, so I encourage you to go and watch it because I go in a little bit more detail. Mm -hmm. But we're just skimming through this. We know from extra biblical sources like Josephus and others that Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea mm -hmm. from the years 26 to 36. 
He is depicted as a very incompetent, corrupt governor. And, you know, the Bible account seems to back that up, seeing how quickly he gave in to the Jewish pressure. Hmm. But the Bible mentions him a lot as having been the main, one of the main figures involved in the crucifixion of Christ, wrongfully convicted him of a crime he didn't commit. Mm. But we know, based upon an inscription found in Caesarea Maritima, the Roman capital of Judea, which is beside the coast, they found under a seat in the theatre a stone that had been reused, and when they turned it around and looked on the bottom of it, there was an inscription that mentions Pontius Pilate mm. in Latin. Mm-hmm. And lately, in Hero- in I think if it's correct, in Herodium or somewhere else, if I'm mistaken, they found a real a ring, a seal ring, that was probably used by one of the servants of Pilate or one of his like you know officers or people person who was charge uh, who was in charge of doing something for Pilate, but it has. Pontius Pilate's name and his authority there. So, you know, if you wanted to prove you were from Pilate, you showed him the ring. Mm -hmm. And so Pontius Pilate, Josephus mentions him, other sources mention him, this um, inscription at Caesarea mentions him, the ring from Herodium mentions him. You know, uh, how much more evidence does one need to know Pontius Mm -hmm. Pilate existed? Yeah, he was a real man, no doubt. He was a real man, just as the Bible states. And it's amazing how the Bible keeps mentioning, it's called a fictional book that keeps mentioning all these real life people and is accurate in the details. Mm -hmm. That's very odd for a story book. Yeah, very strange. Strange. How how did that happen anyway? (laughs) I don't think it was by accident anyway. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) No, exactly not. No, as as we believe, it's it's, when it speaks of history, it's accurate. It's not a history book. Remember that. People Mm -hmm. wonder why doesn't the Bible mention this, this, and this. Simply because it's not actually a history book. Yeah, it was written with a purpose. Exactly. And his purpose wasn't to co- convey everything that was happening at the time. No. There was a very narrow account of things that were happening that were that the biblical writers were concerned with. Exactly. And anyway, even today, <clears throat> history books don't record everything. Right. And that's not always because of lies or wanting to falsify things, but because they have a purpose in them. Because you have to be selective. Exactly. Otherwise, you'll never get your job done. Right. It's just simply too much. Yes. But like we said, we have to go on because there's a lot to get through still. We... There's another bone box that was recently discovered, 2002. So less than 20 years ago, to consider the last two decades, every year they're finding stuff in the Holy Land that relates to the Bible. Hmm. Oh, oh. I think I remember this one. Yeah. And this one is controversial. Why is it controversial? When any artifact that relates to the Bible is controversial almost automatically because of the Bible's controversial nature. Mm -hmm. But on this bone box, it's very simple. It's not like a Caiaphas one. It's for a simple burial for a poor family. But there's an Aramaic inscription on it, on the side of it, which reads, Jacob, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Now, Jacob is the Jewish way of saying James. So mm. James, Jacob, they're the same name, just mm-hmm. two different ways of saying it. One's Jewish, one is, um, of course, Greek. Mm. So James, Jacob, both the same. But this instantly caused a massive controversy because, of course, this seems to be referring to, and people have come to the conclusion that this could possibly be referring to James, the half brother of Jesus, Mm -hmm. because Jesus had a half-brother who was called James. Mm -hmm. 
who, who wrote the book of James that we have in our New Testament. Exactly. The first pastor of the of the local church at Jerusalem. Right. And the Jerusalem know. Baptist Church, I think exactly. it was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I believe so anyway. But here we go. But it mentions James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Now, this caused a huge furor because they're saying, is this authentic? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, you have to, like, you don't just believe something just because someone says it. We should take things with a pinch of salt and we should use our minds and use our God-given sense. But when this was found, there was a long legal battle. Literally, this went to court. Mm. And at the end of the day, it was claimed that it was a forgery. But after a long legal battle, it was believed, it was declared to be authentic. Oh, okay. Whether people like it or not. Now, some people still doubt its authenticity. You know, we can't know all the details. It's very hard to prove whether an inscription has been put there at the time of, of the container being made or much, much later. It's very difficult to do that. Mm, okay. But does this, does this box contain the bones of the half-brother of Jesus? Now, it's a possibility. But also remember that James is a very common name in the first century Jewish community in Judea. Joseph was a very common name. And Jesus is also a very common name. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a, the Greek way of saying Joshua. Mm-hmm. And that name was all over the place. Yeah. So just because someone has the same name, and their dad has the same name, and they have a brother with the same name, does not necessarily mean it is that individual. Mm-hmm. But is it a possibility? It could be. It was found in Jerusalem. Of course, James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? Maybe. But like I said, it's our faith isn't based on boxes with inscriptions. It's based on the word of God. Now, did they observe or analyze the bones at all? Was there anything unique about the bones no. that were in the box? No, nothing. The main, the main uh, focus was on the inscription. Okay. And so, like I said, the controversy was, was that inscription put there... Um, in more modern times. Or were there any bones in the box? I don't remember. I'm just asking because of church tradition, which says that James was martyred and specifically by being thrown off the pinnacle of the temple at Jerusalem. So you'd wonder if some of the bones would be broken or something. It it could be, could be. But the fact is the whole focus, you know, because even if there's bones in the box, it's hard to prove. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? (laughs) Changed out later. It was the Other people could have been put in the box, but it was the inscription itself. Exactly. Interesting thing. And so is it... Was it? Did it contain the bones of the first pastor of the first local church? Mm-hmm. We're going to say an emphatic yes. Well, I couldn't <laughs> be dogmatic about it, but fact is, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. It's mm-hmm. a possibility. Yeah. And so we're not saying. Oh, and this is why I say too, you know, as for those who are Christians watching this, you know, our faith is in the Word of God, not in an artifact. Yeah, James was a real man, whether yeah. we found his bone box or yeah. not. And we also got to consider there are forgeries out there. There mm-hmm. are fakes because yeah. biblical archaeology is a very lucrative market. Mm-hmm. And if you can say something's claimed to be from the Bible, and then you can make big money off that. Mm-hmm. Now, some artifacts have been found that were claimed to be forgeries, only to be shown that they were authentic. Some have been claimed to be authentic, only allowed to be proved to be forgeries. Mm. That's why we have to use our sense. Mm-hmm. We have to use our God-given mind and intellect and have come to things with a reason, reasoned skepticism. There's yeah. nothing wrong with using your head. 
Yeah, and, and having a little bit of humility, too, exactly. about things that we know and don't know. Exactly. Like I said, there's things I don't know or I don't <clears throat> remember. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is just real. I'm not going to pretend something that isn't true. Yeah. But... Is it true? Maybe. Possible. We're not one day anyway in eternity. Hopefully God will tell us. Mm-hmm. But will we be interested? Maybe. Hopefully. I hope, hope so anyway. Mm-hmm. But we move on. Another individual, a less famous king of Judea, Herod Agrippa. Now, just like with more medieval kings, often kings would have the same name. There were several King Herods. There was Herod the Great and there were a few more Herods. But... A famous biblical Herod is Herod Agrippa. Now, he was the grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod Agrippa is mentioned in Acts chapter 12. And he is the man who is accused of having executed James, the brother of John. So not the pastor James, but the apostle James, the brother of John. And he attempted to execute Peter. And -hmm. Peter then miraculously escaped. Mm Mm-hmm. This happened during the reign of Herod Agrippa, king of Judea. Now, this king is mentioned in Josephus. He's meant that you can find coins with his name and inscription on. You know, really, there's no good reason to doubt his existence. He existed. We know he did. There's no doubt. But what's interesting is, is in what the Bible says about Herod Agrippa's death. Now, it says that when he was in the theater in Caesarea, Maritima, that he, everyone started to proclaim that he was a god. And he basically took that adulation. And God judged him mm-hmm. by smiting him with a fatal stomach disease that mm-hmm. basically ended up killing him. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, you may say, ah, well, there's no source that would back up that. That's just the Bible making up stuff. Is it? Because Josephus states that Herod's sudden death and horrid death mm-hmm. occurred in 44 AD. And this is what Josephus states. He says it took place at Caesarea. Now, there were several Caesareas in in the region. You have to be careful which one it was. This is Caesarea Maritima. And uh, he was in the theatre and he had accepted praise from from man because he came in and he was having a meeting and he wore this garment, supposedly, according to Josephus, that had shining gold on it, luxury iron. Reflective. Dressing to impress. And so everyone started praising him. And Josephus states in his history, remember, he's not a Christian. He's a Jewish historian writing for a Roman audience. He states that Herod Agrippa died five days later from a fatal stomach disease. Hmm. And that he suffered a horrible death. Wow. And he connects it to him having accepted praise Hmm. from the audience who were probably flattering him by saying, he's like a god. Oh, yeah. And Just like Luke does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's yeah, and you wow. compare Josephus's account and Luke's account, they give us slightly different details, but when you put them together, they agree. Mm-hmm. Josephus just fleshes that's out a remarkable. bit more. Well, I believe it is. Is yeah. that coincidence? I don't believe so. No, it actually happened. It yeah. happened, just as the, Bible, as the says, Bible says. And just as I believe Josephus also relates. Mm-hmm. So, is there any more evidence? You know, if you're not convinced now, there is still more. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of a king called King Aretas? Probably not, because he's only mentioned once in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32. And in that passage, it states that Paul 
Paul was being persecuted in Damascus and he had to flee from Damascus. The stories tells us that, the account tells us that um, uh, he had to be lowered down the city walls on a basket mm. because the city was shut off. Mm -hmm. But he says that that took place mm. during the reign of King Aretas. Now, King Aretas was a king of a kingdom to the south of Judea, east and south, in fact, of Nabatea. They were uh, a kingdom that at that point was independent from Rome. They were involved in a uh, very expensive incense trade. They were very powerful. Later on, the Nabataeans were conquered by the Emperor Trajan. But at that point, they were independent. They were sort of allied with Rome to some degree. But, you know, they were independent. But Aretas controlled Damascus. And the thing is, we know that he reigned from 9 BC to 40 AD. That's 49 years. That's a long reign for an ancient king. But what's of note is, is that for a long time, the only place we knew about this Nabataean king who ruled Damascus was in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 32, because he wanted to persecute Paul, mm. who was preaching the gospel in Damascus and had to escape. Uh, how do we know this guy exists? Well, outside of the Bible, well, guess what? They found a burial inscription which is dated to 37 AD. And it's of a man who had been the governor of Damascus under King Aretas, the Nabataean. Now, this particular inscription was found uh, at Madaba in Jordan. So, obviously, the guy had been a governor under the king in Damascus. He had then presumably moved back down further south and died there. Hmm. And he mentions that King Aretas was king, you know, during the time period that the Bible mentions. Hmm. You know, you probably don't even, I, yeah, I struggle to remember that name. Yeah. You know, most people have never heard of the Nabataeans. No, I've heard of this king, let alone all this. He was a very important individual in his day. Hmm. And who persecuted the Apostle Paul. Hmm. Another bit of evidence, an obscure individual for most people. Yeah. But yet, here the gospel account, uh, Acts, uh, no, Second Corinthians mentions it, and we have extra biblical evidence for the same king. Yeah, Rome, wow. Damascus at the time when Paul would have been there. Mm -hmm. Coincidence? I do not think so. Mm. The Bible knows what it's talking about. Yes. That's not what, as we should give it the benefit of the doubt, mm -hmm. because God gives us the benefit of the doubt with yeah. certain things. So right. let's be fair. But we move on very quickly. A very famous individual, the Emperor Claudius. Mm -hmm. Of course, the, there was Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, and then Claudius. Now, Claudius is mentioned twice in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, and Acts 18, verses 1 and 2. He was the Roman emperor during the middle period of the book of Acts, mm -hmm. which, of course, when Acts took place, or the events of Acts were took place, and Luke wrote them down later on. Now, we talked about this about, of course, the Emperor Claudius had ordered the, uh, the expulsion of the Jews out of Rome. And, of course, that's where Aquila and Priscilla were, and they went over to Corinth, and they met uh, Paul. Mm -hmm. And so we saw that, that is, that's a very linchpin day. Would have been right around 52, or, I mean, 50, 48, 52, right around I, I there? think it's about 50, I think it's around the 50, 51, 51, 50, somewhere around there. Okay, that that's kind of like a hard date. Yeah. To, that everything kind of links, or, yeah. I mean, 
Like you, you said, a linchpin. Yeah, it's a linchpin. For the dating yeah. of other things in the Book of Acts. In fact, there's one that I was coming up, which helps us to tie in a lot of the dates of the New Testament events. So we we'll actually touch on that. But yeah, mm. the ex- we know roughly when the expulsion under Claudius took place. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we can sort of say, well, we know Claudius did this and this. The Bible mentions this. This is what's going on at the time in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of match them up. Yeah. And they fit, just like mm-hmm. a jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. Just because we don't always know how to put the pieces together doesn't mean it doesn't make a picture. Right. You know, and some people try to cut bits out and change it. No, maybe the jigsaw but puzzle. But then we go back and discover more yeah. and we have to put those pieces back in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or fix them back up. You know, yes. the jigsaw puzzle designer knew what he was doing. Yeah. You know, trust him. He knows. Mm-hmm. It may be difficult. You may not be able to tell the picture. You may not have all the pieces yet. But I believe there is a picture there. Mm-hmm. We just have to trust. I believe that God knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But we move on. One of the first pe- important people that Paul saw saved during his ministry as the apostle was a Roman proconsul called Sergius Paulus. He was the proconsul of the island of Cyprus, who Paul met in Acts chapter 13 on his first missionary journey. It mentions Sergius Paulus was the governor of Cyprus. We know that's true. We can historically verify that. But there have been coins found in Cyprus with Sergio Paulus's name on it. Mm. And there have also been found at least one, possibly three inscriptions that have been found that mention this Roman man, mm. a governor. Mm-hmm. Those were found, one was found in Rome, another was found in Antioch, and another was found in Cyprus. Mm. Now, one for sure is considered authentic the one in Cyprus. The other two are possibilities hmm. because, of course, it's possible that Sergio Paulus was in Antioch. Antioch wasn't very far away from Cyprus, only hmm. a boat trip across what was left on the Mediterranean to the east. And, of course, he was a Roman, important Roman individual. He would mm-hmm. have been in Rome too. Yes. So at one at least, fr- at one at least, three at most. Huh. Now, of significant note, have you ever wondered why Paul got his nickname of Paul? He was called Saul. But then after he had saw, led Sergius Paulus to the Lord, his name then changes to Paul. Mm, I hadn't thought about that. And but some, I thought it was just uh, you know, so that he would fit in with the, with the Greeks. Yeah, yeah, possible. But a bit coincidental that he meets a guy called Paulus and he can, helps lead him to the Lord. And then after that, he's known as Paul. Mm-hmm. So it's possible the nickname was, and it was a nickname. Mm-hmm. Saul was his original name. Paul was probably he probably took it upon himself or it was given to him mm. because he led a Roman proconsul to the Lord. Mm. That's a big deal. Yeah, that is. That'd be like you meet and say a president of a nation, a get, governor, or oh, well, yeah, yeah, or a prime someone, minister or something. Or, yeah, and yeah. lead them to the Lord. You might yeah. be tempted to say, "Oh, there's the man that led so and so to the Lord." Yeah, you know, of course, not mm-hmm. to be brag or boast, but Paul was, you know, he whether that he took that upon himself or was given to him, mm-hmm. it was possible. These things happened in the ancient world. Nicknames were often given to correspond with important events that took place in life. Mm-hmm. So that's a re- re- realistic possibility. Yeah, there may be other. Maybe it was just random coincidence. Maybe. We can't prove that 100%, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. But remember we were talking about those linchpin dates in the Bible. Well, there's one of them, and it refers to, it goes to the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 12 to 17. 
And in Acts 18, it tells us that there was a man called Gallio. Now, Gallio was the deputy of Achaia. Now, Achaia was southern Greece. Mm -hmm. And he was involved, the Bible tells us, in an attempted trial of Paul by the Jews at Corinth. Mm -hmm. And they bought uh, the Jews bought Paul before the uh, the judgment seat, and Gallio says, "No, I'm not having nothing to do with this nonsense. You're trying to drag me into your Jewish religious issues. You sort that out." And in fact, he then beats the leader of the synagogue because he said, "You're just causing hassle. Let that man go. This isn't anything to mm-hmm. do with me." In other words, they were trying to get the Roman uh, uh, deputy to fire their bullets for them, mm-hmm. and he says, "No, in fact, I'm not letting you do that. I'm." too wise to your sneaky tricks yes Mm -hmm. but you may say well what's significance there beside bible account well an inscription was found at the temple of apollo the greek god at delphi where the oracle was the oracle of delphi one of the sacred ancient pagan sites in greece and at the temple of apollo in delphi in 1908 an inscription was found which mentions specifically that a man called gallio was proconsul or governor of corinth in the year 51 to 52 ad during the reign of claudius hmm. so it's very specific Mm-hmm. And so we know, therefore, that in Acts 18, the events that took place during that time took place in 51 to 52, give or take, because we don't know the exact date of when this mock trial went on. Mm-hmm. 51, 52, give or take a year or two. Okay. Yep. So we can then work back and figure out certain dates, and we can work forward Mm-hmm. from Acts 18. Kind of to... construct a timeline. Exactly. That's not an easy task. I mean, there are so many no. details to try to yeah. fit in in different letters of Paul yeah. and trying to figure out where he was. And his calendar but... issues too, because, you know, we, we don't realize in the ancient world, most regions had different calendars. Oh, yeah. You know, today, all across the world, we use the same calendar. In the ancient world, North Africa could have a calendar, in the Middle East could have a calendar. It was different. It was, in fact, only to, in more recent times has there been a unified worldwide calendar mm. for convenience sake because it was causing issues. But this is an important date that just puts a hard peg in yeah. and uh, an unmovable yeah. peg in the, the timeline. Exactly. So and it shows Luke's accuracy because he mentions Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia in Corinth mm-hmm. during the reign of Claudius. Mm-hmm. And that was only came up in 1908. Mm. That's relatively new in the grand scheme of things. Archaeology, mm. we must remember, it is a rather infant um, uh, uh, field of study. Okay. It is basically modern archaeology is very, very new. Mm. But we have one more bit and then we'll finish up because we've given you a lot to think about. But in Romans 16 verse 23... Here's another one I've mentioned. You're probably things that most people just skip over. It's a list of names. You know, we love lists of names that are hard to pronounce and we can't remember them from long. In Romans 16, it mentions, Paul mentions by name a man in Corinth called Erastus. Does that name spring to mind for most? Probably not. But Paul mentions him. And he says Erastus was seemingly a treasurer or city manager at Corinth. So he's writing to Erastus, who is a treasurer or manager at Corinth. It's Mm. very specific. Specific name, specific job, specific place. Mm. 
The same man may also be mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. You know, there's some okay, debate yeah. about that, but it's possible. Same name. In fact, the name itself is rather rare in the ancient world. Just okay. like today, you know, some names in Ireland, Paddy or Patrick is very popular. But, you know, I say maybe Augustus is not a very popular name. You know, mm -hmm. some names are rare. It depends on the time, too. Names go in a fashion, out of fashion. Mm -hmm. But what's of note is... In 1928-29, a dedication was found to an ideal. Now, what's an ideal? Well, an ideal is a city manager, so like the mayor, the city coordinator. And guess what? This inscription states that their city manager was a guy called Erastus. Erastus. Found at Corinth. And guess what? It was found as part of a road. Hmm. So it was in the road... And what seems to have happened is, is this Erastus, the city manager, had sponsored a section of road in Corinth in the mid-first century AD, and he put his name on it. Hmm. You know, like today, someone builds a building, they put a plaque saying, so-and-so did this. Mm -hmm. Same was true there. They would often fund these things out of their own money, and they'd get brownie points for the community, you know, and people would look upon them well. But here's Erastus. He's a city manager. And he's in Corinth in the middle of the first century. Mm. Now, some people say, well, this could be a different Erastus. Now, mm. that's a possibility. But the name is very rare. The position is pretty rare. The same city, same time. So. If it looks like Erastus, strong, acts like Erastus. Strong probability. Yeah, exactly. So it's mm -hmm. generally thought that this is the same biblical Erastus who Paul mentions back in, Paul, um, mm. back in Romans 16. Okay. So there's just some food for thought about individuals who you may hardly even remember from reading your Bibles. You may never have heard from them before. Mm -hmm. But they're in both the New Testament, especially in Luke, and also outside of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So it has to make you think. People say the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. But yet, for a long time, the only place you could find these individuals was in the Bible. And mm -hmm. people said, no, 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 the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about because it mentions so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. We don't have evidence for them. Mm -hmm. And over the years, people have gotten very red-faced over mm -hmm. the fact that, oh, it seems like the Bible it's knew more and more evidence about. turns up. And either they have to um, <clears throat> eat humble pie or just quietly slink away and not say anything, which is most often what is done they just will not say anything yeah help people forget quietly mm -hmm. but we can't forget these things we can't ignore them yeah now i would say there are kind of two types of people out there some are militant anti-christians mm -hmm. who just want to say that everything in the bible is is false and made mm -hmm. up and uh and then there are other people who just don't know and so they assume things about the bible yeah. they're not necessarily hostile and anti-bible they just assume mm. because they don't know yeah. there's no excuse for that these days yeah. um and especially with resources like this this podcast i'm sure thankful tom that you've come come on to share all these things with us and then uh, there's so much more that you know tom came on and shared last spring and then, Tom, your YouTube channel, yeah. Gospel and Spade, please go look at that. Yeah. There really isn't any excuse to be uninformed about these things mm -hmm. today. And uh, these wild claims and unsubstantiated um, claims that uh, that uh, just in one kind of swoop of the hand just kind of dismisses the Bible as fables yeah. and mm -hmm. not true. Um, there's no reason for that. Yeah. 
And uh, it's people who haven't thought carefully about it, haven't examined the evidence, haven't taken the time, and don't be that person, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, there's been a lot of evidence that's been shared here. So take it seriously. Yeah. And uh, as we've said before, what this ought to do is drive us to the Bible, okay? If the Bible is truthful in these little historical details, how about the big issues of theology and the truth about who God is and what he's done in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's that's really what this is about. Uh, it's to show us that this is not a leap off of a cliff, and uh, we have good reasons for believing what we believe, and this ought to remove some of the fog and some of the doubt from uh, the minds of many people. Yeah. and really cause you to begin to take the Bible a little bit more seriously. And uh, let me encourage you, uh, I'm the pastor of the Navin Baptist Fellowship. If you want to get into the Bible, we study the Bible every Sunday. We have a service at 4 o'clock um, at the Clonard House in the center of Navin. And Tom, you're a member of Good News Baptist Church in Mullingar. We yeah. had your pastor, Gene McKinley, yeah. on uh, several weeks ago. And uh, and But find a good church in your area that teaches out of the Bible and get into the Bible and read it at home and find out what it says. Mm. And uh, it will mean uh, you know coming into relationship with God and it, it should result in eternal life for you mm. if you place your trust in what the Bible says. Mm. Um, but uh, thank you, Tom, and I uh, look forward to having you back. Glad to be back. And I uh, hope, hope that you've uh, learned a lot. I sure have. And uh, uh, But more, more to come in, in the future. Thank you for being with us. Yeah.